This morning, I'd like you to open to the book of Joel. The book of Joel. Another one of the minor prophets. Um, one of the things that, uh, I, I, you know, I look around at uh, people uh, reading their Bible, and uh, there's a lot of times they get to the, the minor prophets, and, and, and it's like Ezekiel. They're like, what did I just read? I'm not sure. How do, you know, what, what do I get out of this? And what, what is the importance behind it? Uh, and, and this morning, I want to talk about, I want to talk about God. I want to talk about who he is, uh, how great he is. And the book of Joel is one of these books that really shows, you know, the, the, the characteristic and the nature and the heart of God. The title of the sermon is, you know, the book of Joel, a study in judgment and mercy. That's what this is about. It's judgment and mercy. And we see this kind of, if you will, as a, as a, as a balanced book. There's, there, there's things of judgment. There's things of mercy. There's things of the flesh. There's things of the spiritual. And, and, and it's all balanced upon this, this central theme and the central point, which we'll get to. Uh, but, but, the book of Joel is, is a fairly balanced book when we think about it. it, it it's one of those books that, that, that really epitomizes, if you will, if you're going to preach a book, it's one of those books that you'd be like, oh, this is easy one to preach on. Even though it's got a lot of things in that you're going, what? You ever go through and you read the army that's in here? The one army that just walks up walls, nothing stops them? You're like, what is that? As Jesus Christ is coming back as, as king of kings, and he is going to be ruling and reigning over the earth, and he brings his army with him, and he's talking about that army that's coming that no ar- that nobody's ever seen an army like this, ever. This is, I mean, you read that army, and you're like, whoa. It's impressive. But when we start looking at the book, I want us to, to, to understand some things. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a key, if you will, verse, a central verse that we have to begin to look at. And if we look at Joel chapter two, Joel chapter two, <clears throat> Joel chapter two, in verse 12, it says, therefore also now saith the Lord, turn ye even to me, with all your heart, and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your heart, and not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil. This is the central passage of the book. Let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you again for the time. Thank you again, Lord, for what you've given to us. I pray, Lord, that as we just endeavor to, to delve into this, to study it, to that, Lord, uh, we as believers this morning would receive something that would give us encouragement, give us more knowledge of you. Show us, Lord, in our lives where we need to make sure that uh, that mercy and that judgment that you desire, that you exhibit of who you are, is in our lives, that, Lord, we would be pleasing and honoring unto you. Thank you again, Lord, for those that are here. I pray, Lord, you just continue to give me strength this uh, morning to, to just deliver the words that you would have, that this time would be pleasing unto you. And this I ask in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. 
So the book of Joel is dealing with the nation of Israel and their sin. And he, he, he really points it out and, and, and brings it, it, it very clear. Israel has sinned. In verse 5 of chapter 1, he says, Awake, ye drunkards, and weep, and howl, ye drinkers of wine, because of the new wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. For a nation has come up upon my land, strong and without number, whose teeth are the teeth of a lion, and hath the cheek teeth of a great lion. And here he is, he's talking about the nation of Israel being brought into bondage. Being brought into the bondage of the Babylonians. They've been brought into part of them. Israel is in bondage to the Assyrians already. And, and, and here comes this, this army that they've never even seen before. Now this isn't the army of God that I was talking about earlier, but this is a physical army that's coming. If you will, an army against Israel. An army that is, is brought because of judgment. In verse four, he says, that which the palmer worm hath left, hath left, hath the locust eaten, and that which the locust hath left, the canker worm eaten, and that which the canker worm hath left, the caterpillar eaten. So what we see is here, he's saying, look, you're being destroyed from all sides. Every time you try to go and produce something, it gets taken away from you. Whether it's the Lord's army of insects, or whether it's the Lord sending an army to bring them into bondage. He's saying, nation of Israel, you have a heart problem. And the key principle upon which this entire book is balanced, we just read over there in chapter 2. Turn. Turn. And the problem is, is they'd only done outward repentance. You know, you read the Old Testament and all you see is you see them, they would rend their garments. When they would get upset or something would happen, they would take their garments and they would, they would rip them to demonstrate and to show outwardly that they are in mourning and they are weeping, that there's something wrong. And he's saying, look, you're doing that on the outside, but I want you to get inside and I want you to tear your heart apart. Why? Because it's the broken heart that the Lord likes. Because it's the broken heart that is in humility that comes to Him. It's the broken heart that says, Lord, I can't, but you can. It's the broken heart that says, I have sinned, Lord, forgive me. This is what He wants from them. This is what He wants them to do is to take a deep look inside their heart and to turn. He makes it very clear that, that, that they've sinned. He, he, you know, he doesn't go too much into the exact sin of how, how they uh, have done. But in verse 11 here, he says, Be ye ashamed, O husbandmen, O howl, O ye vine dressers, for the wheat and for the barley, because the harvest field is perished. He talks about everything that they're losing and he wants them to realize, hey, look, this is a consequence because of what you've done in a sinful way. Because of what has happened. Because what has occurred. 
And, and, and the book is balanced between that judgment that he begins to proclaim where he's saying this, this, this great army is going to come and all of these things that are already happening with your, your, the land itself being depleted of its resources, being depleted of the necessary food, the things that you need to eat. Could you imagine there you are, you go out there and you're like, oh man, oh hey, you know, uh, the, the worm didn't eat that part of it, and here comes a locust and eats it. And you're like, well, okay, well there's still a little bit left, and, and the next thing you know is, here comes the canker worm, and it eats it. Well, there's still a little bit of a remnant remaining, and God sends a caterpillar and he devours the rest of it. Man, what is it about those caterpillars and worms that are from God? One of them can just come up and just, you know, devour a gourd in a, a day. I mean, just, you know, bite it and make it withereth and, 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 and go away. Have you ever seen how big those caterpillars are? They don't get that big. I mean, there's just some big ones out there. You know, there, there's some big, mean, mean, nasty ones. There's the furry ones that look really nice, but then you touch them and you realize, oh, hey, that was poison. Um, <clears throat> you know, anything in Australia is like that. But, 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 but again, you, you, you take a look at those small little caterpillars. You ever seen those play around with them as a kid? Around this neck of the woods, we get those little itty bitty green ones, right? And sometimes we see the fatter little, you know, brown ones that are out there, the little moths and stuff like that. And we're like, oh, those are so cool. And you, I used to play around with them as kids, you know, uh, things, things like that. But, but, but here's, here, here's the concept. That little thing, God uses to bring great judgment. He used those little things to bring great judgment in your life. And sometimes, when there's the little things, you also bring a big thing in your life to bring great judgment. Why? Because he's concerned and cares for you. He's still exercising and saying how much he loves the nation of Israel. Throughout this book, there's an emphasis on what is called the day of the Lord. In, in, in verse 15 of chapter 1, he says, Alas, for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand, and the destruction from the Almighty shall, uh, shall it come. And he's saying, look, th- th- that day is at hand. Now, if you do a study on the day of the Lord, you find that the day of the Lord isn't contained to just the one day. Not only does it include uh, uh, his return when he shows up, but it also includes into his new kingdom, and it also includes the tribulation period itself as well. And we find that that day that he talks about, the day is a thousand years, right? We find that it, it, it aligns up. And when that day comes and Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world that has been saying, oh, show us a sign, show us who you are, oh, Lord, reveal yourself. And there they are, and they're going to be stuck over there in what the the Bible calls the Valley of Decision. A big choice that is going to have to be made over there in chapter uh, chapter 3, verse 14. They're going to be stuck in the Valley of Decision. The choice, the finality behind it. There they are in Armageddon. There they are in that valley. There they are ready for destruction. They've made their choice against God, against Christ. And they will pay the ultimate price for it. A judgment against all nations, not just Israel. A judgment against all nations. But here he's telling the nation of Israel, he says, look, the day of the Lord is at hand. 
Was that not the ministry of John the Baptist as he would go about and he'd say, repent and be baptized for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's at hand. It's coming. It's going to be here. And as we get closer and closer and closer and closer to that day, we as believers can understand and take that as an understanding of, hey, that day is at hand. It's coming. It will be upon us. It's not going to to, to, to not happen. We're not all millennialists that go, oh, well, we're, we're, you know, that kind of happened in typology with Nero, but now we're actually in the kingdom of heaven. We're in Christ's kingdom right now. No, we're not. He's not ruling and reigning. There's some questionable people in power today. Not just, not just the U.S. Look around some of these other countries and you're like, really? That's the person you chose to lead you? Not saying we did any better, but all right. We've got that choice. We see those things. We see that the Lord is telling us, you know, when he talks about signs of the times, we we begin to realize and we begin to discern that, that, it, that it's getting closer and closer to what ministries we have here being done and, and, and something different being in place here in this world. And he says this to the nation of Israel because he understands that we, that the nation of Israel has to begin to understand that there's going to be a judgment that comes upon them to purge them, to get rid of their sin, to get rid of their iniquity, and the things that he's going through here, he's saying, look, all of these things need to happen. All these things need to occur. Over and over again, he talks about that, the day of the Lord in verse, uh, verse one of chapter two. He says, blow ye the trumpet in Zion and sound the alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the Lord, of, of the land tremble for the Lord, day of the Lord cometh for it is nigh at hand. A day of darkness and of gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, as the morning spread upon the mountains with great people and a strong, there has not been ever the like, neither shall be any more after it, even to the years of many generations. A fire devoureth before them, and behind them a flame burneth. The land is like the garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate wilderness. Yea, and nothing shall escape them. The appearance of them is the appearance of horses, and as horsemen, so shall they run. Like the noise of chariots on the tops of mountains shall they leap, like the noise of the flame of fire that devoureth the stubble, as a strong people set in battle array. Before their face the people shall be much pained. All faces shall gather blackness. They shall run like mighty men. They shall climb the wall like men of war. They shall march everyone on his ways. They shall not break their ranks. Neither shall one thrust another. They shall walk everyone in his path. And when they fall upon the sword, they shall not be wounded. They shall run to and fro in the city. And they shall run upon the wall. They shall climb up on the houses. And they shall enter the windows like a thief. The earth shall quake before them. And the heavens shall tremble. And the sun and the moon shall be dark. And the stars shall withdraw their shining. And the Lord shall utter his voice before his army. Did you just realize who he was talking about? 
That wasn't a bunch of angels. He's talking about the saints coming back. Believers. Could you imagine that? The people being much pained and gathering blackness at the horror of seeing an army that cannot be killed. You know, they try to, you try to get people to break rank and, and, you know, move in different, you know, split them apart. Somebody sends a cannon volley and artillery shell, their general direction explodes right in the midst of them and they just keep walking. They're unloading a full magazine of 762 by 39 into them and it doesn't even phase them. Nothing happens. That's God's army. He's the captain of the host. These people that are invading the land, invading the world, they're coming for the purpose of establishing the kingdom that God, that Christ is going to rule and reign. That's an amazing thing to think about. He's saying that day, it's coming. It's at hand. It's going to be there. And this is what Israel wants, is they want the reestablishment of the kingdom. They want those things back that they've lost because of the sin. And what God is clearly making sure that they understand is, is Israel, I have to judge your sin. I have to judge your sin. And this is something that every person needs to understand, that God will need to judge your sin based upon what you have done. And if you sinned against God in any way, shape, or form, it prohibits your name being written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Because the Lamb's Book of Life is based off of what the Lamb paid for upon the cross. And here he is, and he's saying, look, you've got to understand, judgment will be executed. You go and you witness to somebody and you're telling them about uh, about salvation. You're telling them about how they can have uh, a salvation from their sins, how they can have salvation from an eternal lake of fire, uh, how, how, how God has done this for them to give them the eternal life. And all they have to do is receive. And you begin asking, well, have you ever sinned? And they begin to justify it or, or explain it away or, 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 or do the, the whataboutism of like, well, everyone else does it. But with God, God's saying to the nation of Israel, I don't care what the other nations do. I just want you to turn. I will deal with them but I want you to deal with this sin right now and that judgment that comes. You think about the judgment that was paid for on that cross. The condemnation, the damnation, all of that, Jesus Christ took upon himself. Sin has to be judged. Otherwise, God is not God. But above all of that is a great attribute, not only of the judgment of God, but of the mercy of God. His mercy. And you know what he does in this book? And as you read it, and as you get into the details of it, 
you read about all of this judgment that's coming in, in, in chapter 1, but then in chapter 2 you begin to read, there's an army coming to set up the real kingdom. There's an army that is coming that is led by the Lord Himself. The Savior is coming back as King. And we begin to realize that as He's talking about all of this, He begins to change the tune to, well, there's going to be blessings. There's going to be restoration. But all of this is, is if you will, balanced upon that point of repentance and obedience. Repentance and obedience. People often want the mercy without turning to God. It's not the way it works. You turn your back on a judge and, 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 you, and you turn away from him and go, Judge, yeah, I, I want mercy. The judge is like, well, why won't you look in your eye? No, I, I, I don't even believe he exists, but I want your mercy. You know what the judge is going to do? No. As a matter of fact, I think I might even throw you in a little bit longer for contempt of court. (laughs) But what we find is is we find that the Lord is sitting there and he's balancing saying, look, I'm going to be a God that judges sin, but I'm also going to be a God of mercy. Because that's who our God is. That is the key point behind the book that we see here with this balance is that that God in, in his attributes will judge the wickedness but will also extend that mercy. He wants us to have these things, but he must judge what we've done. And the nation of Israel is not exempt from this. They're the example of this. They're the example of this. And he just simply says, all you have to do, turn. Turn. Turn in your hearts. Not in the physical flesh, but in the inward part. Turn. Turn. I want you to notice these principles of balance. Uh, take a look at chapter uh, chapter 1, and, and as we go through chapter 1, and we go through this whole uh, uh, passage here, and we've already read some of this, uh, that's there, and we see in verse uh, verse seven, he said, uh, "He hath laid waste my uh, uh, excuse me, he hath laid uh, my vine waste and barked my fig tree, hath uh, made it clean bare and cast it away. The branches thereof are made white. Lament like a virgin girded with sackcloth for the husband of her youth. The meat offering and the drink offering is cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests and the Lord's ministers mourn. The field is wasted. The land mourneth for the corn is wasted. The new wine is dried up. The oil languisheth. As we read those other two verses in verse 13, as we move down a little bit further here, or excuse me, in verse 12, he says, the vine is dried up and the fig tree languisheth, the pomegranate tree, the palm tree also, the apple tree, and the trees of the field are withered because joy is withered away from the sons of men. Why is joy gone? Because God's not present. Joy cannot exist the right way without the Spirit of God. 
Verse 13, gird yourselves and lament, ye priests, howl, ye ministers of the altar. Come lie all night in sackcloth, ye ministers of my God, for the mean offering and the drink offering is withholden from the house of your God. Sanctify ye fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land in the house of the Lord your God, and cry unto the Lord. Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand, and as, uh, and as a destruction from the Almighty it shall come. Is not the meat cut off? Before your eyes, yea, joy and gladness from the house of our God. The seed is rotten under their clods, and the garners are laid desolate. The barns are broken down. The corn is withered. How the beasts, how do the beasts groan, and the, the herds of the cattle are perplexed because they have no pasture. Yea, the flocks, the sheep are made desolate. O Lord, I will, uh, to thee will I cry, for the fire hath devoured the pastures of the wilderness, and the flame hath burned all the trees of the field. The beasts of the field cry also unto thee, for the rivers of water are dried up, and the fire hath devoured the pastures of the wilderness. That does not sound like a pleasant place to live. That is not a vacation spot. Well, what do we find? We find that this is the judgment of God. And throughout it, he's given a call. He's saying, Lord, people, I want you to do this. In the middle of all this, I want you to cry unto me. I want you to seek me. And we have this judgment of this plague that is coming about and destroying everything. But when we go, when we look at chapter two, chapter two, and in verse twenty-one, what does it say? It says, "Fear not, O land, and be uh, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord will do great things." Here comes the mercy. Be not afraid, ye beasts of the field, for the pasture of the wilderness do spring, and for the tree beareth her fruit, the fig tree and the vineyard do yield her strength. Be glad then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he hath given you the former rain moderately, and he will cause uh, to come down for you the rain, the former rain, and the latter rain in the first month, and the floor shall be full of wheat, and the fat shall overflow with wine and oil, and I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten, and the canker worm, and the caterpillar, and the palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you. And you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied, and praise the name of the Lord your God that it dealt wondrously with you, and my people shall never be ashamed. And you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God, and none else and my people shall never be ashamed. That's restoration, folks. That's great things that he's doing. I want you to realize what he said there when he said in verse 25, I will restore to you the years that the locust had eaten, the canker worm, the caterpillar, and the palm worm. All those years that you lost, God will give back. God will give back. That's an amazing thing to think about. That's an amazing thing to think about. You know, sometimes people think about it in the time frame. But he's not talking about the time frame. Could you imagine? Here you are, and, and, and you've got seven years. Let's just take seven years. Seven years that, that you have had nothing in the field because it's been eaten by every insect known to man. And then after the seven years, that first year you see things starting to sprout up. And instead of having, you know, the X number of ears on the, uh, on the corn stalk, you wind up with three times the amount. You go out there and the wheat is so thick you can barely get through it. You go out there and the tree is so full of apples you can barely see the leaves. And it's healthy. It's not chemically induced. There's no GMO. 
<laughs> he, 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 he's brought it all forward. That tree that didn't yield anything for seven years yields seven years in one city. Could you just imagine that? And I'm using this, you know, kind of, if you will, speaking a little foolishly with this, just imagining the harvest of everything that God is restoring to them and giving them back. So on one hand, we have the, the plague and we have the restoration, the mercy. In, in, in chapter 2, we see that those verses that we just read about that invading army and, and, and the purpose behind that invading army that, that we see that it is coming for the purpose of judgment. Now in chapter 1, we saw the one army that was there, but in chapter 2, in verse 20, we find what that other army comes to do. And what does it say? He says right there in verse two, uh, 20 of chapter 2, But I will remove far off from you the northern army, and will drive him into the land barren and desolate, with his face toward the east sea, and his hinder part toward the utmost sea. And his stink shall come up, and his ill savor shall come up, because he hath done great things. You know what God said? My army is going to beat that army. Well, after you describe that army, yeah, no kidding. That army is going to be very thorough. Driving out those inhabitants. Driving out those that have come for the purpose. You want to talk about rout? About, you know, causing the enemy to flee? That's what the Lord does with his army. On one hand, we see the judgment over there in chapter 1. We see that army being brought in in chapter 2 and the conquest in verse 20. The judgment, the mercy. And it's all brought upon because in chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, they turned. They turned. We know the end of the story. We know what the book says. There will be those that continue to cling through the, 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 the most difficult circumstances that have ever existed on the face of the earth. There will still be those that say, I choose to serve a living Savior. I choose Christ as my King. There will be those that do that. There will be believers. But furthermore, he says, look, I'm, I, I, I'm even going to balance this even further. And he's talking about all these physical things. And in chapter uh, 2, verse 21 we, uh, through 27, we just read over there exactly all of that restoration. We read the physical restoration, but that's all well and good because we only we, we all know the physical is the physical, right? But look at how he balances it even further. In verse 28, he says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall uh, dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions, and also upon the servants and upon the handmaids. Those days I will pour out my spirit. I will show wonders in the heavens and the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke, and the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord to come. And it says, and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. 
For in, the Mount Zion, for in Mount Zion in Jerusalem shall be delivered, as the Lord had said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. God likes to work with remnants. He, 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 you know, I, I, I don't think it's sacrilege to say he, he's kind of a good quilter. <laughs> Putting those little pieces together. But, 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 I, but I'll say this. He, he's not just going to restore them physically. He's going to restore them spiritually. They're going to have that connection again. We saw a glimpse of it at Pentecost. We saw a partial fulfillment there. But there's still the full fulfillment with the nation of Israel. Right now, God is not talking to Israel. The only way he talks to Israel is through his word. And guess what? They're not listening. They haven't been listening for several thousand years. They still think that they're going to go and offer sacrifices and, 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 and offerings and God's going to accept it. The sacrifice has already been paid. The offering has already been made. It was made on the cross. No animal. No, 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 no offering. No sacrifice comes even close to fulfilling what Christ did with all areas of the law. And he balances that physical with that which is spiritual. I'm going to restore you physically, as I've said, but I'm going to have that relationship that you've always wanted. And I look at this, and you know, I can't help but look at my own personal life. How great God is and the great things that He's done. You know, our lives are often plagued with the sin and the consequences of sin, isn't it? And if we look back at our lives, sometimes we realize just the absolute disaster that we've left behind. I mean, we fragged it, and then we fragged the fragged parts. We 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 just have, we we do that with sin. But the great thing that I, I I love about all of this is that God can restore that life that has been plagued with sin by His grace and by His mercy. When there's the simple act of repentance. And we've been talking about repentance on on Wednesday night because it's an important part of change. If repentance is just thrown out the window, then change isn't going to happen. You're not going to make a change. You're going to make a change for, 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 for a couple of minutes. And here we are, we're approaching the new year, and everybody's already thought, oh, wait, what's going to be your New, year res- new Year's resolution? What's going to be your New Year's resolution? I've had people say, oh, yeah, you know, doctor told you you need to lose weight. Oh, that's a great New Year's resolution. <sighs> <clears throat> you know what a good, good resolution is? Repentance. I will turn to God. And as we talked about on, on Wednesday, 
we get so caught up in the opposite of what repentance is. We say, well, repentance is turning away from sin. No, no, no. Repentance is turning towards God. When you turn to God, you naturally turn away from sin. But it is a turn towards the Lord, as we've seen over and over and over and over again. It's not a turn away from sin. I know people that turn away from sin and never turn to God. And guess what happens? They return. They return. It's a turn to God. And as he says there in chapter 2, and in verse uh, verse 12, he says, Turn ye even to me with all your heart. He's always wanted that from Israel. Book of Deuteronomy talks about it in the Gospels. Something that we as believers need to understand as well. He gives them a specific way to do it. He says, you're going to need to fast. What does that mean? You need to put your body in subjection. You need to put the flesh back where it needs to be. Flesh isn't number one. The flesh sits in the back seat. It's done. With weeping. Meaning you're sorrowful because godly sorrow bringeth repentance. Mourning. Mourning the loss of the relationship with the Savior. And I can't help but see how God restores that relationship. When we just simply just repent and say, God, I'm going to turn to you. I'm going to forsake everything else. And I'm turning to you. And I'm going to cling to you, as we've been talking about on Wednesday. And I'm going to serve serve you and serve you wholly with my entirety of life. And there we find the mercy of God. And how great he truly is. We can never unlock, if you will, those blinders on our eyes until we actually turn to God himself and realize how merciful he is. That's why it's hard for the, for the person that is unregenerate. The heart, it's hard for the person that is an unbeliever. Why? Because they haven't, they haven't turned to God to see how merciful he truly is, how good he is. They turn to everything else. And many times when they return, they do a complete 360. They're not, they, they, they do, they may turn away from one element, but they still go back to themselves. And they never turn to God. We find here that, 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 that life that the Israelites were missing out on because of the plague, because of bondage and the armies is all mercifully brought back to where God, to what God had promised. Through his great works and the great things that he does and the mercy that he shows upon them to forgive them and to put them as the premier nation. And the same thing is true in our lives. Just turn. Just obey. That's all God asks. And we realize that this restoration is, is stuff that's been stolen from us. Sin is a thief. Sin robs us of blessings. Sin robs us of relationships. 
Sin robs us of those things, those good things that God gives us. He takes them. And here we find all those things that are taken over there, if you will, everything that the insects have eaten in in, in verse 4 of chapter 1 is all brought back. Because in chapter 2 and verse 25, what do we find? We find the restoration of all of it. And if we look at that in our own personal lives, and we ask ourselves, have I truly seen that mercy of God? Have I looked at the judgment that God has passed about what sin really is and how exceeding sinful sin is and how it's an abomination and how I need to turn from it? But most importantly, how I need to turn to the mercy of God, the just judge. While a sentence may be proclaimed, and a sentence has, the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And then it says, the wages of sin is death. Judgment is there, right? God said, sin, death. Genesis chapter 3, sin, death. Throughout Scripture, sin, death. The soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. And it's not just a death and then you're gone. And you just disappear. No, it's an eternal death. Forever. It's called a lake of fire. That's judgment, folks. That's judgment. But God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should what? Come to repentance. Turn to Him. And what do we get? Eternal life. Get to be part of that army. I don't know. You're kind of one of those guys that likes military stuff. I don't know. I find that kind of cool. And I, that's manly. <laughs> or womanly in that case too. That, that, that's, that's an amazing thing. Here comes all these saints. I mean, man, could you imagine that? Here's all these saints that have been martyred and abused and slighted. And they're coming back with their Savior. And he's walking before them. And the, the land that's before them is all nice and pretty. And by the time they got, it, it, they pass through, that place is disaster. Why? Because God's purging sin out. He's purging out the unbelief. It's not going to be a matter of believe on the Lord Jesus Christ anymore after that. It's going to be worship Jesus Christ or else. You're like, well, that sounds dictatorial. Well, when we abide by our own conscience, it doesn't seem to go well for us, does it? Genesis chapter 6 and the current state of the, the, the union today. It doesn't seem to bode well. When God says he's going to rule and reign and he's going to rule with a rod of iron and he's going to rule with his word and it's going to be his standard, there is none other. There's no gray. There's no judgment that has been, that has been biased and, and has been corrupted. It's all going to be according to him. And I look at all of that. And in this book, I see this whole concept of 
what has been destroyed by sin can be restored by a Savior, by a King. Maybe you're here this morning and you've got some stuff that, I don't know, maybe there's some pending judgment. Maybe your sins are forgiven, you got a home in heaven, but be not deceived, God is not mocked, whatsoever man soweth, that shall you also reap. If you reap to yourself of the flesh, you're going to reap destruction. You're going to reap corruption. The things that are spiritual, you'll reap those if you reap if you if you sow the things that are godly, that are righteous, that are holy, and that are true. Where are we today? The balance of judgment and mercy in our in our God is fantastic. It's wondrous, as it says here in the scriptures. Wondrous. It just exemplifies the glory of who He is. And I'll never forget that. One time I'll tell you this, 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 this account one, and then, and then we'll close. The guy saying, well, God's just such a mean, vindictive God. Why would He judge somebody so harshly because of sin? I said, do you understand the concept that, that God's mercy, that God's grace is greater than that sin? That's what Scripture says, right? We've got a hymn that sings about it, talks about it. I say, have you ever sat down and thought about, like, say, the nation of Israel that has just... I mean, you want to talk about abuse? Yeah, nation of Israel and God. And it wasn't God that was doing the abuse. And in the end, God's going to still take them and put them as the premier pinnacle nation. They're still his people. He still loves them. That's mercy. That's mercy. And somebody cuts us off on the road. We don't exhibit mercy. We want state patrol on that person. Get him. Right? Mercy of God is so great. The judgment is because of the sin that we've committed. The mercy is because of how great our God really is. And I love to read it when I think, or I love to think about it when I read this book. And think about how great God really, truly is. But repent and obey is what God asks of us. Let's go ahead and stand with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for the time. Thank you again, Lord, for what you've shown to us from this book. And Lord, while we've just looked at a simple glance at this passage, a simple glance of the book, there's so much more, Lord, that's there that we can look at and to to receive in detail. Lord, I pray that we would just have a desire to see it, a desire to read it, that, Lord, this has just taken a moment and, and opened up a little bit more of the scriptures in our life. That, Lord, we can see how good a God you are. That you are the choice one. Lord, I just pray that you would just uh, be with us as we continue in 
and worship and praise as we close with these hymns. Lord, may we think on the words, not just voice them with our mouths, Lord, but may they be deep in our hearts. And Lord, may what needs to be rent, may it be rent and pulled away. Lord, so that we would turn to you with all our heart. Thank you again, Lord, for this time. And this I ask in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.